Let's pray. Father, you will and you have taken care of us in our darkest times and in our brightest times. You have taken care of us. You have supplied everything we need. And so, Father, uh, we want to lay at your feet as we remember, reflect upon, and delve deep into your word with the event of Palm Sunday. May we see the significance of it as not simply just an event that happened years ago, but as something that is true and powerful for us even right now in the midst of fear and confusion, but a great confidence that we have in you. May you be with us and may you bless the proclamation and the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we go forward in, uh, to the sermon, I want to tell you where we're heading in terms of sermons. As many of you know, the original plan was to go forward with the Ask Anything sermon series after Easter. But with our plan to suspend services and with our honesty in simply saying we're not sure when we're going to come back, I'm going to go in a different direction because I believe that the Ask Anything sermon series is actually a better series to do in person in Cremona. And so after Easter, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk, a fantastic book, of course, in the genre of the Minor Prophets in the Old Testament, and I think incredibly applicable for us right now. So with that in mind, as you get ready for Habakkuk in a couple weeks, let's think about Palm Sunday. Who is Jesus? This may seem like a, a very strange question to ask a church, but I think it's good for us to think about this as we celebrate Palm Sunday together. Before we get into the text, I want to say that this isn't the Palm Sunday that we originally had planned, and yet, isn't it great that God has given us opportunities to use technology for his glory and for his kingdom. One of the most interesting things about quarantine or isolation or however you want to put it is that the Apostle Paul was in that for most of his ministry time. He was in prison and much like the book we finished last week, Philippians, we saw that somehow even though he was in prison, the gospel was still being shared and it wasn't bound by our own human limitations that the power of the gospel was still very much at work in the world. This gives me great encouragement that although the church, for the most part around just not just the province, but the whole country and the world itself is bound to homes, the gospel isn't bound and can still be proclaimed around the world. Even now at this very moment, God is still saving people and bringing them to salvation. In fact, God's work of saving people is what we are going to be talking about this morning. Because this passage from John chapter 12 reveals a word that we have heard many times, but don't necessarily know what it means. That's the word Hosanna. Hosanna. And as the church, I think there are sometimes words that we sing or read or say that we simply don't know what it means. They are routine words. Take Amen as an example, or Amen. 
Does it mean and time to open your eyes and start eating? Or does it mean this prayer is done? Yahoo! Let's keep on going. What about hallelujah? Does it mean we are super, super happy? Because sometimes we say or hear somebody saying hallelujah when they are really happy that something has gone the way that they want. And Hosanna. Does it mean time to take out those palm branches and start waving them and shout really loud? In reality, amen actually means let it be so. Let it be so. Hallelujah means I will praise him. I will praise him. And Hosanna, which we're going to be talking about today, means the Lord saves. So how does this actual meaning of these things change the way we praise God? Will we use these words more or will you be thinking about them more? When you say amen at the end of a prayer, will you be thinking and knowing that what you are actually declaring is that you are leaving it on the will and hand of God? That you are saying, God, let it be so. That you are leaving with our good and sovereign God. What about hallelujah? Will you be saying it with more boldness now? That whenever you say it, it's actually you declaring out loud to the people around you that you will praise him? Regardless of what's going on, you will choose to praise him. And Hosanna, the word we usually only read here or maybe say on Palm Sunday. Does it have more meaning to you now? That when we say Hosanna and sing it, we are declaring that the Lord saves. That when we were seeking other things, God came to us and saved us. Wretches like me and you, saved by his amazing grace. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for this Palm Sunday message. However, it's incredibly important that we understand that this entry into Jerusalem is one of the few events recorded in all four Gospels. This isn't to say that everything in each Gospel isn't important, but it is to say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John decide to give an account of the event because they believe it to be crucial to the understanding of who Jesus is. I've chosen this passage from John instead of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because John's account focuses more on the reactions of the crowds. And I believe this is important for us today. Let's read it through completely, verses 12 to 19. It says this, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. 
You see, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. As I said, I want to focus on the crowd's response to this event. But in order to understand it, we need to take a little biblical history and geography lesson. This account from John's Gospel says it was the next day. And so we have to look a little bit backwards in order to truly understand this event. In John chapter 11, we have this incredible event of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And in verses 55 to 57 of John 11, it says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. As they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. You see, at this point in the ministry of Jesus, tension was filling up from the Pharisees to Jesus, and their anger for him was reaching an absolute boiling point. In fact, in the verses just before John 12, verse 12, which we'll be in, it says this. It says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Jesus had come to Bethany and the religious leaders had found out. This boiling point was so large that they wanted to kill Lazarus as well. The great crowd that we find in John 12 is the crowd that has come for the Passover festival in Jerusalem. Now, in order to understand this well, we need to understand that Jerusalem was a large city. In fact, at the time, it is said to have been over 50,000 people, just over 50,000 people. But during the time of the Passover, that number could grow up to 120,000 people, more than twice the usual size. Almost think of Cremona during the show and shine or during Winterfest, it goes from close to 500 people to over a thousand, almost easily. Jerusalem, like many places, wasn't set up for a gigantic increase in people, even if it was for a short time. And so for the government at that time, tensions are even greater for potential violence and unrest because of the huge increase in population in a matter of days or even in a matter of it says they took palm branches, which is most likely the image we think of when we think of Palm Sunday, with Sunday school craft images stuck in our minds of cut green paper branches. We think of waving them, but the reality and importance of the palm branches go way beyond a simple Sunday school craft. Palm branches for the Jewish people were symbols of Jewish nationalism and pride because they would be used for celebration after a successful war. Now these symbols of national hope are placed on Jesus, for he is now their hope. But probably not the kind of hope they were hoping for. 
In fact, even for the disciples, his closest followers, they didn't quite understand what Jesus actually meant for them and for the people of Israel. Verse 16 says that they didn't understand all of this, meaning all of the crowd's reactions, which we'll get to soon. Because like the crowd, they misunderstood exactly what it all meant. John 1 verse 10 reveals that this would be the case, that this was the case. John 1 10 says, He, that's Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. Jesus, the one whom all has been created through, the creator of the universe, would come into the world. Yet for much of that world, they would not know him. Truly, who he was and is. They would come with their preconceived ideas of who this Messiah was supposed to be like. And Don't think that we haven't done this either in many ways. Many of us think we know Jesus, but unfortunately, many of us don't actually know him. Sometimes we believe Jesus came to simply teach good things, good moralistic teachings about things we ought to do with our neighbors and the people around us. And that's it. Some of us believe the accounts of Jesus to be completely made up and make-believe. A myth somehow made up by thousands upon thousands of followers and now millions of followers who have have lived and died for him. Some of you believe that Jesus was not actually God, even though he claimed to be. You believe that he was just a man. Some of the things that the crowd says from this passage today, you don't believe. And it may be hard for you to believe. Like the crowds, you may believe a little part of it, but not the whole picture. You may see a glimpse of the beauty, but not the whole treasure. You may hear the words of the crowds and think that that is simply all they are, words. But for many of you, for many of us, we see Jesus for who he actually is. Our best friend, our ultimate comfort, our greatest satisfaction And with others, you can proudly shout, Hosanna, the Lord saves, and crown him the King of Kings, even though we are scattered like we are now. With all of this in mind, let's see how the crowd describes Jesus, how they misunderstood it, and what it means for us right now in light of who Jesus really is. First, they shout, Hosanna. And as we learned earlier, Hosanna means the Lord saves. And in one way, this was a common expression for cities that meet their triumphant and returning king. In 2 Samuel 14.4, it says this, When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. This save me, O king, is the same word as Hosanna that they would have used. And in relation to Jesus, when we say Hosanna, we are declaring that Jesus is the one who saves and the only one who can save. Not quite like the saving the Jewish people thought at the time, for Jesus didn't come to be the earthly king who would overthrow the Roman government, 
but rather came to overthrow the rule of sin in our lives, to free us from its power and its authority over our lives. And he came to give us life. You see, when we declare Hosanna, we are saying that Jesus has the power to save us, will save us, and has saved us for those of us who are in him, in Christ. But how has God saved us? Colossians 1.13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It was a rescue as God saved sinners who were pursuing the things of the world. When I was pursuing death, Christ was pursuing me. When I was pursuing the pleasures of the creation and the creation itself, the Creator was pursuing me. But why did He save us? 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given, given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So let's say it out loud. The Lord saves. Hosanna. The impact that this has on us right now in our life is life changing, life altering. That we were once in darkness, but have now seen the light. This should change our whole viewpoint of things. For those of us who are the church, those who have, of us who have trusted in Jesus for our salvation. God has saved us so that we don't just have eternal life, but rather eternal joy as well. As we declare to the world, Hosanna in the highest. The Lord has saved us. And those he saves are also his delight. He delights in those he has saved. If you have been saved, these words ring true for us from Zephaniah 3, 17 to 18. It says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. See, Jesus is the mighty warrior who saves taking great delight in you, the one he saved. He rejoices over you with singing. How could this not make us respond with praise to our God? How about more of what the crowd has said about this Jesus figure? They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is in direct relation to Psalm 118.26 where it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. Of course, those who came in the name of the Lord were, of course, those who spoke on behalf of God himself. Those prophets of old who spoke prophecies and warnings of repentance and judgment and hope in the Old Testament. But now there is no need for those fully human figures to speak on behalf of the Lord, because now there is the Lord himself, Jesus, the God-man, God incarnate in the flesh. 
Jesus is the final one to be called, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the crowd at the time perhaps didn't understand this fully. He's also the king of kings. He is blessed is the king of Israel. It says in Zechariah 9.9 these words. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, as Jesus being our king, we don't have to be afraid. But he isn't quite the king that the crowd expected. He isn't the king that would rule on an earthly throne for the Israelites. But instead, he is something way better than that. He is the king who sits on his throne of grace so that all who trust in him can approach that throne with confidence. Could we ask for a better king? The disciples walked with this king for three years, and then he would be gone soon after this Palm Sunday. It wouldn't be until Jesus was glorified that is gone, that is gone, that they would realize the reality of these titles for Jesus. They wouldn't realize that all of these things were written about him and what this actually meant for them as followers, as the church. The crowd that saw the spread the word that Jesus had entered for the Passover, but were unaware that Jesus came for an absolutely different reason. That instead of celebrating life, Jesus came to die for his sheep. The end of this passage in John 12 helps prepare our hearts for this coming Holy Week. As the Pharisees say to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They quickly start to ramp up their plans for Good Friday, where the world will go dark for the Savior, will die for the sins of people from all the nations. And we need to feel the weight of this as we go forward. Even though we won't be together for Easter, Good Friday, and Maundy Thursday like we usually are, the message remains the same. God is good, and Jesus, the God-man, enters Jerusalem as what seems like a great response from the crowd, and yet just days later is mocked by that same crowd, while Jesus at that same time looks upon them with mercy and kindness. You see, this week changes everything, even the way we look at a world with suffering and pandemic. Instead of looking with dread and death, we can look and see potential for life and hope through the life-giving message of the gospel in which Jesus came and defeated death. If there ever was a time to reflect upon and act upon the Holy Week events, it may be now, when people need to hear hope and see hope from the church. Don't make this Holy Week a time to simply do the same things that you've always done. Really take time to worship with your family if they're with you to get into those devotions which I have sent to you, to sing songs together and pray together. It will certainly be a joyful time when we gather once again in Cremona. And I cannot wait. But in the meantime, I ask that right now you shout from where you are. Let's shout it together. Hosanna!
Hosanna, Hosanna, the Lord saves. Because he has saved you, he has saved me. And that is not the only, and he is not only the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but he is the Lord. He is the King of kings, ruler of all over your life and the world around us. So live your life in praise this week for how good he is. Let's pray together. Father, Palm Sunday for many of us is this event that we just know of. But perhaps it's just simply intellectual for some of us. And so I ask that uh, through what we learned through John chapter 12, uh, that we would uh, see how Palm Sunday truly is a life-changing event. That it starts off this week that changes absolutely everything. May we live with boldness that you saved us. That we are to go out and display that hope through word and deed to our neighbors and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.